0: Hello and welcome to the EDH RETCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. He just learned the difference between catheril and latheril, but now he's confused by the difference between latheril and lathiel. It's Dana Roach.
1: I've just been thinking, do you know, does February, March?
0: (laughs) Because like, I know April, May. What? Wow. We'll, We'll deal with it.
1: We'll deal with it later.
0: I I don't have a good response to that at all. I I can't be like, oh, yeah, because July, August or September, (laughs) October is like, wow, well done. That was that was really, really good. And though Matt isn't with us for this episode, I'm sure that he's very, very proud of your dad jokery. He is he is here in spirit at the very least. Very, very much. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everybody. This is the EDH RECCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like giving all the data there a little more context. Dana, since it's just the two of us, what is it that we're going to be talking about in this week's episode? We're going to be talking about how to beat Matt Morgan in Commander. (laughs) Um, Definitely. Yes, entirely. (laughs) It's actually pretty short show notes for us. It doesn't take a whole lot. Just show up. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: We're
0: going to be talking about dealing with enemy commanders, commander threat levels. Yeah. Yeah. This will be very, very interesting because there are different types of commanders out there that you need to deal with in different ways. Um, Like an early title for this episode as we were brainstorming, it was like, kill on site commander or let it be commander because there are different commanders that you're just like i i might not need to let you do anything ever but then i can let you live and how do you judge that and how does it affect the way that you play when your opponents have all those different types of commanders out there should be very very interesting to get into but we will get to that in a second because we got some shout outs we got to do first
1: the first person we want to thank is chase also known as Curves, for their help with editing the show you can find them on twitter at Curves.
0: Rec has partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design, makers of the best magic merch you'll ever find. Use code EDHREC for 10% off any order at Coalesce. Their apparel is slick and stylish. We of course recommend the EDH Rec collection, and there are tons of others you can check out, like their new Riptide project, or their Keeping It 100 collections too, with really fun designs. So once again, that's code EDHREC for 10% off your order. And we want to thank our patrons for the show who went over to patreon.com slash edhretcast and signed up over there. We've got really fun perks, including our Patreon access discord. It's really, really a great time over there. And there are tons of other ways you can support the show as well, such as by liking, subscribing, leaving us a review. That's also huge too, but we just appreciate everyone who wants to show their support in such awesome ways. And that's why we have that Patreon perk, the shout out for the show. And this episode is going out to Kai Zook. Kai, thank you so, so much for your support. It really means the world to us. This show would not happen without the support of awesome folks like you. So thank you ever so. We appreciate you all so, so dang much.
1: Let's jump into talking about the main topic today and talk about different commander threat levels and what you should do when faced with them.
0: Uh, I... (laughs) I mean, threat assessment in Commander, I feel like, is one of those topics that will, like, will never die and can never die because it's always constantly shifting and stuff like that. But I I do kind of feel as though there are certain categories of Commander out there that it can be kind of nice to classify just as a, a short, a mental heuristic in your head that helps you remember, oh, I might need to, like allocate certain types of removal for for certain types of commanders out there. Um, I, I don't know. That's at least a thing that I've started to kind of get a notice on. It's just like, I need to save this certain type of removal for the type of commander that Dana's playing over here. And I need to I, I can be a little bit more freewheeling with my removal for the thing that Matt is playing or that Chase is playing and stuff like that. But maybe that's only me. I don't know. Dana, does that resonate with you at all? Or no. what do you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's actually probably the first thing I do. Sometimes you evaluate the player too. Like if it's somebody I know very very well, and know how they play. That will I, I yep. will immediately begin like game planning around them. But like usually, the first thing I start looking at is okay. I need to keep an eye on this particular commander because this is always going to be a problem. Or or like okay, I can breathe a little bit with that commander.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you sit down against a whole bunch of opponents, especially based on whatever your strategy is, I feel like before the game even begins, we are doing that type of threat assessment. Like, if I have an aristocrat stack, I am much more afraid of the person who's playing Yasharn over there because Yasharn says you can't sacrifice stuff. So I'm like, oh goodness, that's <laughs> that's going to be really tough. But if I, in, independent of what deck that I'm playing, if I'm up against a person who's playing like I don't know Gave Guru of Spores, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, but I know that that one can sometimes be a combo deck. So i'd better have a different type of capability ready for that one versus someone who's playing like the new urza chief artificer which tends to make a whole lot of big artifacts that go smash and tends to be pretty combative and like the way that i deal with each of those is going to be different because i think first and foremost this is the big thing the big class specification for me is the impact that those have on the board as soon as they arrive because what urza chief artificer does as soon as he arrives is different than the threat that gave could produce by just comboing as soon as you see him (laughs) Right, right, right.
1: And and I think I, I would even take it maybe back a step first, say so like the first category I kind of look at, mm. and, and I will mention a few specific names because I actually played at my LGS tonight before we played here. And in, so in a game, I played my Sphinx tribal deck, which is Aspiria Supreme Judge as the commander. And in one game, I played against an Aketra the True deck, and I'd never seen Aketra as a commander before too. Mm. Um those commanders, I, I don't want to say they're commanders that you can ignore. Aspiri is a six-four flyer that will draw me cards if you attack me. That's not nothing. Aketra's got double strike. It's a it's a pretty big body. That's not something you can ignore either. But those are problems you can deal with when they become problems. Sure. And I, I think almost what's almost more important than knowing that is 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 knowing that because of that. You need to save your removal for bigger threats. <laughs> could Asperia be a problem? Could a Ketra be a problem? Absolutely. But the odds are very, very high that something else will be a bigger problem before those things become a problem. So like that, that's one of the things I always kind of focus on is, you know, I can take a couple shots from a Ketra. Someone else could take a couple shots from Asperia before it becomes an issue. And you can survive those things, whereas there are other things on the board, not even just commanders. Yeah. There are other spells that might hit the field that you have to deal with right now because you won't survive those being in play right now. So, so knowing if you have a cushion on a commander, I think, is a really important thing to be able to look at it and evaluate to know whether you can, you can wait is, I think, I think is
0: a pretty big deal and a skill that's really useful to have. Very, very much. I, looking just within my own roster of deck lists, I, I, I kind of, to an extent, feel as though willhel the Rotclaver would be an example of this for me. He does provide a very steady amount of value, eating zombies, drawing cards. And over the course of the game, it's true, having drawn those extra cards could make me reach the thing that I needed to find so that I could pull out victory later on. Certainly. But at the same time, that is not a commando that's having the same meteoric impact as... As, as like as a comma. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's not quite messing up the board and in and, and quite the same way. So it is more, as you said, ignorable. Or I almost wonder if like any commander that sort of serves to amplify a strategy rather than to provide value on their own. So I think of my Thalise Reverent Medium deck, for instance. Thelese doesn't do anything unless I'm already making tokens. Like I have actually gone plenty of games where I don't even cast that commander at all because I'm just making enough tokens and pumping them up enough on my own that the commander would be nice But it isn't a core thing for that strategy. It's simply amplifying what already exists. And I think those. Would those also kind of count as the commander you can ignore? Or you play against the least more regularly when we're streaming, Dana, um, at Twitch.tv slash EDH Redcast, everyone. Uh, would you call Thelise a thing that does draw your attention more than some of the others you just described?
1: The least draws my attention, but least also requires a specific board state to do very much. So, like, you, again, you can look at that and be like, oh, I have a turn where it's not going to be an issue so I can focus on something more pressing. Or you can look at it and go, oh, this turn bad things are going to happen and I have to deal with it right (laughs) now, but it tends to be something that's like spelled out in advance and you can read into it
0: yeah and and like this is also difficult because again the value that these things generate while they might not be like immediately pressing like i don't think that you would be able to put like again looking at my own deck lists here like babala saga i'm not sure that you could call that one a thing that you could ignore it's not the one that's winning the game right but she's drawing me so many cards in so many like chunks of activations just three cards three cards that like Getting rid of that is the way to knock me out of that game, even if Baba La Saga is, again, not having that same impact as some other commanders that are are much more dazzling when they first enter the field. Mm-hmm. And and that's what makes some of this a little bit tougher, because like, yeah, you do need to get rid of Baba probably as soon as you can. uh Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Like, again, you're the one who's playing against uh, these things. I'm just giving my own examples here. But like, yeah, the way that I approach those, they do feel like they have a different threat assessment requirement compared to the things that are like bombastic as soon as they're there. Like if this thing is allowed a single attack step, I'm dead, you know?
1: Yeah, very much so. And and like talking about your commanders, that's kind of what the Sir Conrad deck feels like. If Sir Conrad's in, in, in play that can very easily just be something that you can't recover from sure <laughs> so yeah there, there, it's it's definitely something that that it really benefits you to think about in advance and, and this was a lesson uh, to to go back in the way back machine a little bit when i first started playing commander um a, a friend of mine had a thraxamundar zombie deck and thrax is a commander that probably people don't see very much anymore because he's seven mana sure um But he's a seven mana, six, six with Haste, and whenever he attacks, defending player sacrifices a creature, and whenever a player sacrifices a creature, you may put a plus one counter on Thrax. And I remember realizing very quickly, because I played against this friend a lot, that, oh, I need to, when Thrax comes down because he can attack that turn, I need to, number one, have a creature in play that I can afford to sacrifice to Thrax, and then, number two, have something in play that I can block Thrax with or I'm immediately taking seven commander damage to the face. (laughs) And then it's downhill from that point onwards. So, like, it was very apparent when that commander came down, I either A, had to have a plan for stopping Thrax from hitting me, or B, had to have a plan to remove Thrax. And if if those things didn't exist, I was going to lose that game. (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was like my real first lesson in looking at these things. And ever since then, it is something I very much pay attention to when I sit down.
0: I feel like one of the ways that this lesson has cropped up for me is actually with an entirely other category of commander, which is like the... (laughs) the if they untap with it you probably lose type of commander um like you just named sir conrad and i kind of think that sir conrad might fall into that category there yeah i would agree like if i untap with sir conrad and i'm allowed to play like morality shift where i switch my graveyard and library and i've just dumped like (laughs) you know 70 cards into my graveyard uh it might be lethal damage right there or pump out a mind crank and then boom like the commander and just one other card has created not even an infinite loop but like enough damage that the game has changed so drastically that it's hard to ever recover from that point and there are a lot of commanders that seem to fit that bill out there like if someone untaps with a locust god i'm terrified because a single windfall could produce so many insect hasty bodies on the field and then they could find a shared animosity or something like that like the the commanders that have the brand of I untap with it and you immediately die is a really big wake up call. Like that is where I'm just like, that, that is what feels to me like the thing. Of like I have to save my removal for you because, yeah. oh, oh goodness. Like I can't, I cannot let you do that. You'll, the game will just be over. Yeah.
1: If Najila is allowed to be resolved and, and the person's able to swing with Najila, you're probably going to lose the game. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a, that's also the thing you have to remember there is that's a threat on the turn they can cast Najila. And if you res- if you deal with that threat, that threat is then a threat again in two turns. And, it's, and and if you deal with it, it's a two turn two turns after that. Like that never goes away with those particular commanders. They are always the threat to do that. So you always have to keep an eye on them.
0: Yeah. And and I think what makes it especially difficult, and here's the thing <laughs> here's the thing that I know that you it kind of gets your goat sometimes. Um it is like, let's say one, like Yidris, Yidris would be another amazing example of this. If Yidris connects, if Yidris hits, the amount of cascading value that Yidris produces could literally end the game right then and there. Um, not in all cases, obviously, people build their decks differently, but sure. I've certainly seen Yidris decks that pop off by just doing a single combat step. And so like, let's say someone plays a Yidris. And then the next person plays like a, a, a the Nikasar or, or whatever, something like that. I know that that is a thing that sometimes bugs you, where you're just like, no, I, I, I had to deal with the one thing and you're not changing the, you're just like, you're adding more to the problem. <laughs> like that right, is a, right. I, I don't know if I'm representing your point. Absol- but
1: no, like... absolutely. <laughs> you get the situation where someone plays a threat that has to get dealt with and then someone else plays another threat that's slightly more threatening and you have to now let the first threat live to deal with the second threat.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. It, and it... it In there are situations like I I love to undercut the threat. I love to play the slightly less threatening thing when the threatening thing comes out. Because then I feel like I've protected my thing. Someone has to now deal with someone has to deal with the thing that was already in play versus the thing I play. But people that like overstep, yeah, that that drives me nuts and I'm like, oh, now we've just created a lose-lose situation where like I can't deal with both of
0: these problems right where the only way to resolve that issue is definitely just a board wipe of some sort but you also don't want the game to be all board wipes because right right right. that could be tedious if and also like the the other strange thing about this is that like as the player you need to uh, as as a player in this multiplayer game where those board wipes are likely sometimes the only answer to some of these situations like it, it you need to be aware that like you might not be able to do your thing because of how big other folks stuff has become and so if you were to run stuff out onto the field well that merciless eviction is going to take everything down with it because it needed to and then you've lost your own game pieces and you've lost an advantage and that can be a case where sandbagging would have been a, a much wiser choice just because of how threatening everything else was on the field and it needed to be dealt with yeah and there was only one way to deal with it and that involves collateral damage on your own end
1: Well, and I would say that then to further complicate this, (laughs) you have a you have a collection of commanders where actually removing them is a bad idea. Yeah, and it's not even like the Oketra or Spirit example that I use, where I'm like, well, removing them is maybe robbing yourself of a removal piece you might need for a scarier target later on. In this case, they oftentimes actively want to be removed by the person that's casting them.
0: Yeah, you have a Jeru with eyes open deck, and that one tutors for a Planeswalker whenever it hits the field. I dare say you don't care, and in fact welcome Jeru's disappearance from the field so that you can go and find more Planeswalkers.
1: Absolutely. I have on more than one occasion killed my own Jeru with a, with a removal spell just because I needed to tutor up a piece. Yep. And yeah, if if you are going to do it for me, I
0: will absolutely allow you to do that 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and your carter did the same thing when you had the, your Carter deck put together.
0: Oh, goodness, yes. That was a deck that was entirely devoted to sacking my own card or and then bringing it back immediately. Like, because when it enters, it mega goads the entire table. And I was just like, yeah, I want to activate this as many times as I can because, haha, <laughs> 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 dance puppets, dance. <laughs> like, so if you're going to kill off my card I welcome that. I would love to replay it. In fact, it is a detriment to me, a detriment to me if it is allowed to stay in play for an extended period of time. Like, I... I, I, I don't want it to stick around. And that is a completely different vibe than a whole bunch of other commanders out there, the Muldrothos of the world that are providing such steady value over time that you're like, I, you do really need to make sure that that thing doesn't stick around and play too often, you know? And that's a, a big recalibration that you've you've absolutely got to do. And there's a whole bunch of interesting commanders out there like that.
1: The one that always pops to mind for me is is Gonti, Lord of Luxury. Yeah. And and I've played against a lot of Gonti decks over the years. And the notion of being conservative or careful with your commander is utterly alien to every person I've ever seen pilot a Gonti deck. They just swing (laughs) full stop just recklessly into anybody because... If you don't block, that's fantastic. You're taking commander damage. And if you do, that's even better
0: because right? Ganti will probably
1: kill whatever it's blocking because Death Touch and they'll just recast
0: Ganti then. The one that comes to mind for me is Rakdos, the one that flips a coin on all non-demon creatures out there. And it's just like, I, 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 think, I can think of no single thing that would be worse than killing off this board wipe commander (laughs) multiple times like recasting Rakdos would completely scupper everything on the field I don't want to just hand them a board wipe a one-sided board wipe all over again that would be Horrible, and there's the new Atraxa as well. Um, it's like the seven mana Atraxa that yeah. has a Niv Mizzet Reborn ability, right? Where it looks at a whole bunch of cards off the top of your deck and lets you keep a bunch of them. I mean, heck, Niv Mizzet Reborn, actually, right? Yeah, right. Another. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like if I recast this, that's good for me. I get more cards that way. Actually, so go ahead. I welcome death, and that's like a dang it. And in that case, what do you do against those types of commanders if removing them is a bad idea? Well, in that's a good point. So, I think this is where like you need
1: to think about these things when you're brewing your deck a little bit as well you know it's good to have this mix of different kind of removal spells it is is source of posture is amazing because it's instant speed and it's exile absolutely but if you're dealing with a Rakdos lord of riots or something i mean it's only buying you time and it's also many times enabling your opponent to do the exact thing they want to do yep whereas dark steel mutation which is very very slow might solve that problem for a lot of turns by turning that Rakdos into a bug that just sits there doing absolutely nothing. So like, I I think that's something to to very much be cautious about when you are brewing your deck and be able to put answers for different kinds of categories of commanders into your deck. Be prepared to be able to deal with some ones that you want gone, but you don't want coming back or you don't want to have their abilities or you don't want to remove
0: necessarily straight up. Yeah, you are the master of Lignify, the uh, green enchantment that turns a creature into an abilityless 0 4. And I know you're also a huge fan of Kenrith's transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> Matt's not here to make fun of you for it, but I will. Obliute, or as it's more properly known, <laughs> Oubliette, which phases the, the creature out. Yeah. Um, those are also. Uh, or Imprison in the Moon, other things like that. Those are not entirely permanent ways to remove commanders, but they can absolutely make these problem commanders more easy to deal with. Like, I, I don't want to kill off a Sharoom player's commander, right. because if they recast Sharoom they will get back more amazing artifacts, and that's a problem for me. So I'd rather do a thing like Imprison in the Moon to that commander instead. The issue, of course, with those is that they are not permanent forms of removal because there are different ways that they can release the commander back from underneath those. And and that is, again, a thing that makes it tricky. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why those commander removal options tend to be uh, uh, people are more hesitant to reach for those compared to the famous standbys. Absolutely. Like I I love a lot of the cards you mentioned, but I don't want that to be my only form of removal
1: either because yeah. they're, they're much easier to interact with. They are things that y- you can't do on the stack. You can't respond in an emergency for the most part by casting a Prison in the moon. So mixing those things up, mixing up your answers to to deal with the different kinds of problems is something that I'm very conscious of. And I think most people should be probably a little more conscious of when they breathe their decks.
0: Yeah, it's very true. This is the thing that I know I've been like taking a closer examination to all of the removal spells that I am using in my decks, uh, you know, going forward instead of just, you know, just the classics, which like the classics are classics for a really good reason. And Mm. I think we'll get to some of their importance in like the later half of the show as well for another category of commander we'll get to later. But I, I am becoming more and more conscious of those commanders that are just like, good Lord, I'm. Terrified of you because killing you is a very bad idea like there are straight commanders commanders like yuriko or whatever will will use cards like abjure to sacrifice Yuriko to put it back into the command zone so that it's easier to command new jutsu out to make it unblockable. I don't want to I I need I need an entirely different method of <laughs> removal to deal with that kind of thing. And I have not always been conscious of that when I'm building my decks because I just run the stuff that I know is good or a removal spell that seems like it might work nicely with the strategy that I happen to be using, but just looking within my own strategy is probably not really enough. I need to be more considerate about like the types of stuff that I will encounter out there rather than just seeking for those removal spells that have synergy with my own strategies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it, and it's, it's kind of one of those things. It's, it's a never ending game to a degree too. Like you, <laughs> I, I, I'm i always tweaking those things one way or the other. I'm always like, Oh, I need a little more of this, a little more of that, a little less of this, a little less of that. So like depending on your meta and, and, and what's being played in the kind of larger meta of EDH as a whole, um, that, that might change f- from year to year too as well. So that's, it's, 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 we say this a lot, but again, it's one of those way more art than science kind of things
0: yeah yeah as i think the the one thing that uh matt really likes to say is like the intentionality like you know why you're choosing the cards that you're choosing rather than just choosing them because they're supposed to be good for example like right. having a pause and consider it kind of moment on every single card that you're using in every single one of those things i mean it's exhausting unless we be real not everyone has the time for all of that not everyone is as nerdy as we are about every single card that we, that we put into our decks but like at the same time it can really save your bacon in game and there, there are just certainly going to be moments where I would prefer to have the imprison in the moon style or the darksteel mutation style removal spell as opposed to a removal spell that gets rid of something and makes me a token. And ooh, that's really cool in, in my token deck. But like that actually probably isn't going to work as well for me. Or the removal spell that like like ruinous intrusion. That's one of those I think that like exiles a thing and you get plus one counters or Asterion's thirst. Like I really like those. Those are really great. And in a plus one counters deck, I am dang tempted to use them. But one of the reasons that I haven't used them as much yet is because i feel like there are other types of removal that will actually deal with problems in a more significant way um and yet i still like there's a a push and pull there's like yeah there is no right answer on that. Like, I do want to use the thing that synergizes with my deck, and I also want to use the thing that will save my life so that my deck can exist in the game. And, like, there isn't a, a really right answer on that. You have to figure out where you're going to draw that line for yourself. And that, as you said, is probably meta dependent. It depends on your own joy as well. But it's dang tough to figure out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why talking about, like, it's one of those things that not only are you thinking about it before, thinking about it once you sit down and look at the commanders you're going to be facing and start already realizing which ones you need to deal with which ones you don't which ones you want to try to you know pin to the board which ones you can ignore but yeah it's something you think about before that point when you're brewing your deck and like thinking about just making sure you can handle multiple different problems at the same time there's a there's a very bad movie um from 2003 i I want to just briefly talk about here um okay. Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen of all people do you remember the Olsen twins you yes. a terrible TV movie called The Challenge. Um, and it, God, I knew it. it. I knew that you were doing no this. At no point do they ever challenge any stats. So I would like to remedy that right now, Joey, by challenging some stats.
0: Everyone who can't see my face right now, I'm staring <laughs> daggers into Dana's soul for the most ham-fisted segue into the Challenge the Stats segment in the history of this show. As soon as I said in, Mary-Kate in,
1: and Ashley Olsen, you're like, oh, there's no place else this can be going.
0: As soon as you said, I want to talk about a movie, I was just like, <laughs> this is gonna be some absolutely messy, ridiculous nonsense to get him into the challenge of stats segment. And I'm, you know what? I'm just gonna let it happen. I'm, It's fine, whatever. I don't need to be the one who segues into challenge the stats in the year of our Lord 2023. That's okay. I'm not having a meltdown about this at all at everyone. <laughs> sure, Dana, let's challenge some stats unlike Mary-Kate and Ashley <laughs> Our first
1: challenge was brought to us by listener Patrick McCallan. You can find them on Twitter at Patrick McCallan, M-C-C-A-L-L-E-N. And Patrick is challenging the card Augmentor Pugilist with the backside Echoing Equation. It's only in 33 of over 10,000 Goshen TIE of Life Origins decks. And the important part of this card is the Echoing Equation portion. So Echoing Equation is the sorcery half of this spell. It's got a creature on one side, but... Echoing Equation is three blue blue, and it says choose target creature you control. Each other creature you control becomes a copy of it until end of turn, except those creatures aren't legendary if the chosen creature is legendary. And Patrick writes, this card is an absolute win condition when paired with other shrine creatures like Goshen Tai of Ancient War to turn all your creatures slash shrine tokens into direct damage dealers. Or Goshen Tai of Shared Purpose to get a bajillion spirit tokens or your commander Goshen Tai of Life's Origin and then play a shrine to make so many more shrine tokens. Whenever I've played it, it's been an absolute bomb. And yeah, it, it's, it's been my experience that those kind of cards that let you turn all of your things into something else is very much a way to close out games, particularly in decks that don't necessarily have a real clear win condition baked into whatever that particular um, theme is. So absolutely, Echoing Equation is a fantastic card. Totally agree. It shouldn't be way more than 33 of 10,000 Goshen of Life's Origins decks.
0: That's probably one of those cards that just should be in more decks in general. Like the fact that it's a multicolored card makes it harder to put into stuff. But like the fact that it turns all your stuff into non-legendary copies of a thing, that's gross. Like that card's just bonkers good, right? Like that's actually obnoxious. Yeah, Yeah, like all
1: all the restrictions that you usually have with dealing with making copies or, or, or turning things into a thing, that's a lot of times regulated by the legendary rule. And when you can ignore that, Not just ignore it once, ignore it with all of the things that you're making into copies of it that's very, very frequently going to be super effective.
0: Yeah, and this is just feels like a way overlooked card because to even know what the back half does, you have to flip the card over. So it's like it's easy to not have seen what this card does. Yep. Uh, so yeah, great call, Patrick. That is a that is a really slick one. Um, I'm going to go for an interesting one in the Selesnia vein here in honor of Matt because he's not with us, but I think he'll appreciate this. Um, I've been taking a look at Lazel Vlacif's champion recently, which is a really funny fun uh choose a background commander it's the Glith warrior three mana three three it's a the the white legendary creature that says if you would put one or more counters on a creature or planeswalker you control or on yourself you put that many plus one of those kinds of counters on it instead and you know it just it just this is really cool with like the plus one counters it's cool for planeswalkers but you know it's also really neat with it it's also really really neat with the indestructible counters that Myosian of blooming dawn or Myosian of Towering might have, because when you cast either of those Myosian from your hand, you'll, they'll get the Indestructible Counter, and then the Lazel makes it two, and, like, double Indestructibility, that's not good, right? Except for the ability, on the second half of those cards, like, remove an Indestructible Counter from Myojin of Blooming Dawn and create a 1-1 Colorless Spirit creature token for each permanent you control. So with Lazel, you can do that and keep the thing Indestructible, or you can just straight up do it twice. <laughs> like... I yeah, just if you're playing a Lazel deck with any background, if whatever this the your deck's colors are, I just think the Myosian getting extra counters to do those amazing bombastic abilities twice is really game-breaking. And when I look around at Lazelle's different combinations, like for example, Lazelle and Masterchef, I'm not seeing the Myosian on her page at all. I, it just seems really good to do those things twice, y'all. Like seriously give this one a look. Double Myosian ability is absolutely bug nutty.
1: Yeah, taking a thing that's all, that already kind of feels busted and doing it a second time is <laughs> absolutely something you probably want to be doing in a commander deck if you can.
0: Yeah, like, and again, maybe it's a pipe dream, but I don't know. I have seen plenty of Myosian of Blooming Dawns in the format recently yeah. because it's just a really good card, and it's especially good here. And so, Matt, I hope you enjoy this Selesnya-style challenge. But just to narrow this down to make it a more specific challenge, if you're playing Lazelle plus Masterchef as your thing, I definitely think that Myosian of Blooming Dawn and Myosian of Towering Might are totally worth a look because that would make a whole bunch of one ones. That have a lot of plus one counters on them from the master chef or the my of towering might also gives out plus one counters when you use its indestructible removal ability and doing that twice would just be bonkers like there's just a ton of value in that so seriously give those a look Myojin with lazel let's say it's a very potent combination okay let's move back into talking about different commander threat levels out there and so I kind of hinted at this earlier and Dana, you were you were sort of touching on it there uh before we made a completely ham-fisted Mary Kate and Ashley Olson challenge that <laughs> segue. Um But the interesting thing about some of those other removal types that we were discussing is how completely useless they are sometimes against really bombastic commanders. Like, Lignify is really cool to, as you said, pin a certain commander to the board to make sure that Rakdos never gets to flip a whole bunch of demon coins and and all of that. But it doesn't do a dang thing against, like, the maelstrom wanderers of the world or, like, the, the nethroys of the world, where, like, the simple act of casting those commanders has caused such a meteoric impact on the battlefield that it's it's just bonkers and it's just like what the heck do you do in those cases right like that is a whole new tier of commander threat level to me meteoric is absolutely the right word like they
1: they leave an impact crater just by like leaving the command zone Just the process of casting those commanders is going to ripple out and and forever change probably the the face of the board, at least, if not the game, just by existing. And in short of a stifle effect, there's really no way to stop them the vast majority of the time. And if
0: they recast it, it does it all again. I know that there are some players out there who, like, really don't like counter spells, but, like... I, I like counterspells when they're used on Proshes. Yeah, right, you know, yeah. like I just sometimes I'm just like blue player. Tell me you've got something, please. You know, <laughs> like that's yeah. Uh, goodness. And like in in those instances, it very much becomes a like yeah. I'd I'd better have been aware of that leading up into the game because if I'm finding out in the moment how meteoric those things are, I've already lost. Right. Yeah. So like I need to have a strategy prepared for that. So. I don't. know. Do you have a strategy to prepare for that kind of thing as the game begins, or
1: right? Like, like I remember in in, in the, the two of the ones you mentioned, Prash and Mouse from Wanderer. You know, I don't see those cards you know as much as I did, you know, five six years ago. But like, I remember when those were much more prevalent in the in the meta, having conversations with people. Before you'd even start playing, or everyone's like, "Oh, so we need to probably kill the Prosh player or the from Wanderer player before they can cast their commander," <laughs> or, or, or we need to have a plan at least to realizing that, like, if they actually get to their turn and attempt to cast it, there's a good chance you just lose the game, or 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 find yourself so far behind that it doesn't matter. Very. So yeah, that that that's it's it's a it's something that's so impactful. I, I definitely have had those conversations 100. percent
0: yeah. And the thing that makes it especially tricky is that I think there are some commander decks out there where the deck has been built and the player knowing how their deck works is ex- exceedingly wise about when they deploy their commander to make sure that it has the greatest chance at having a meteoric impact. Um, so I think I mentioned uh, Nixar earlier, for for instance, which is the wheel. When your opponents draw cards, it deals a bunch of damage to them, uh, commander. And that one I I almost never see that commander deployed as soon as it's castable because like, yeah, it could slowly do damage to your opponents over time, but like your opponents are not going to just let that be, you know, they see it and they're all really annoyed because it's dealing damage to everyone. That AOE damage draws attention to people like, all right, be gone with that thing. A a, a removal spell upon your house, a a pox upon you. Um, So instead of risking that and then, you know, having your commander become seven mana, nine mana, instead what people do is sandbag the playing of the commander until you have like nine mana available later on and then you deploy the commander and here's a wheel here's a wheel here's a a whole bunch of stuff all at once to make the commander kind of lethal upon arrival and dana to get to an example of yours a commander that you are distressingly good at this exact strategy with is your arden and essior deck because arden if allowed to go to combat can suit up a dozen equipment onto something and then yeah someone's probably just getting if not half of their life total gone their entire life total gone as soon as you have moved to a single combat step because of the way that you've set up the board before Arden arrives and that is an entirely different level of of threat that can sometimes be hard to spot but once you see it like sure. oh, oh goodness You'd, again you have to have a plan
1: and in the case of, of that Arden deck too What's nice about that is the deck doesn't necessarily need Arden to be in play to do things until then. Yes. Sometimes you find yourself with those commanders that are that impactful where they also they need to get put out. As soon as possible, because the deck just doesn't work unless they're in play. Prosh being the example. Mm-hmm. Prosh decks tend to have nothing really going on for the most part, aside from Prosh being played. And if Prosh isn't being played, the deck isn't going to, isn't really do anything. There's, there's not a lot of, of like build up to that moment necessarily. You are looking to get a Prosh out and then everything happens. And if you, you don't cast Prosh, you're probably not making moves. That's not necessarily true with Arden. There's a lot of setup I can do and wait till the right moment to get Arden out. So, um, that, that's, that's something that, uh, particularly if you are playing against that, is m- a little bit trickier to know how to pick your moment. And if you have not seen the deck that much to know whether it's, it's something that's going to come out right away or the person picking their moment, like, like Arden or like the Nekizar example you mentioned.
0: And I think that probably one of the best ways to develop a habit of recognizing those things, like the biggest example we can probably all think of is like the presence of a doubling season in play, because we know if there's a doubling season in play and someone sticks a single planeswalker, they're immediately ulting it and that will change the whole landscape of the game from then onward. And, like, that is the easiest, like, parallel I have to this type of commander or this type of player who will set things up for them. Yes. And in those cases, genuinely, sometimes the only thing that you can do is, like, either have your lucky instant speed removal spell before Dana goes to to combat with his Arden in play, or, more likely you made a very significant point of just using whatever sorcery speed removal you have your reclamation stages whatever on those doubling seasons right because the the prosh decks the gave decks a whole bunch of those have those pieces that need to be deployed first before the commander finally arrives to make them all lethal and you've got to be really really vigilant about making sure that those things just aren't allowed to stay because if they do that is when you will have no recourse if the commander finally arrives and the stage has been set for them
1: again we're just we keep kind of to a degree beating the same drum um (laughs) just to different beats but um yeah it's a lot of this stuff is just things that you need to think about or or i think once you've been playing for a long period of time it kind of becomes second nature i don't think you, you necessarily even need to sit down and be like okay the person to my right what's our commander how do i respond to that? It's something that I think after a while you do start just getting a feel for, and you know, okay, I, this is what I'm doing for this, this, and this. So let's go. Like it, it does become relatively second nature. Um, but yeah, it's it's very, very impactful, and making that mistake in not judging that correctly can be the difference between a win and a loss for sure.
0: And here's a way that I notice, especially between you and Matt, here's a thing that I definitely notice affects the way I play the game. Because if I'm playing, I'll use your Arden deck as the example again, and I recognize how many equipment you have in play, and that you have like one rinketing flying creature over there. So if Arden does stick in play, someone's probably going to be hit for 20 damage just from that single flying creature. And so if I know that, and I've got my instant speed removal in hand, I know I need to save it even while Matt is actively attacking me with his commander sure. you know right <laughs> like because i know that i can actually use say a wrath effect some type of sorcery speed removal on matt's thing and like when someone's attacking you i think we also have this mental shortcut this heuristic of like when someone hits me with something i gotta sandbag that removal spell for when that happens like i'm not going to use it as soon as they just have a thing in play i want to wait until it becomes a threat to me and once the thing becomes a threat to me then i'll use my removal on it but I, I would want to like keep that even if I'm actively my life total is being completely devastated by, you know, Matt having a great big attack against me. I know that your attack in the future would be even worse for me. So, like, I, I, I got to kind of stand back in that way. And that is a way that it sometimes manifests for me in game.
1: Yeah, no know what, what you're kind of doing is you're doing the math and like, OK, I, if I take 20 dam- or take 10 damage now, I will be able to stop 20 damage later. Yeah. So I got to take the 10 damage right now, which doesn't feel good. That's, no. that, that's a, takes a lot of discipline to be like, nope, I'm going to take it because this thing is <laughs> that's going to happen is going to be worse. But to make that call, you have to be aware that the worst thing is going to happen. You have to be ready and like be doing those on the fly evaluations and understanding what's what's what is going to happen that that makes it OK to take the 10 when you're going to take the
0: 20. And, and the thing that makes it, I think, even harder to judge the removal on these various types of commanders is when someone else's like if player a is the person that i'm most afraid of out there because their commander will have that like oh they've set up their board in a, a way that will be just truly devastating but player b has a removal effect in play that is keeping me from enacting any of my game plan at all that is when i find it it gets especially screwy with me like i'll use matt as an example here again he's got his vaivictus as Marty the dire deck and that destroys your stuff <laughs> Like every turn, if he's allowed to keep that in play, he will just kill off your commander if you try to play it. And if I'm in that position, I got to say a huge temptation of mine would be to kill off the thing that's stopping me from getting anywhere with my stuff. And that might not be the right call. Yeah. Because I need to save that removal for your thing, which would be more devastating because my life would be over as opposed to my stuff being destroyed.
1: Or or, or you make the evaluation that this thing is keeping me in check. But it's also keeping these other two people in check more. Yes. And the reality is they probably need to be kept in check more than I need to do my thing right now. Now, you can't – obviously, the whole game, you can't, like, have that mentality, but being able to look at it turn by turn and make that evaluation that it's okay for me to do nothing this turn if these two people who are much more able to take advantage of the situation do nothing too. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of kind of evaluation and math you're doing on the fly, and the more you play, the better you get at it, but that's something that happens probably every game, I think.
0: Yeah, like as as annoyed as I would be if someone has a Yasharn in play, keeping me from sacrificing stuff in my Aristocracy Saga deck. Um, if there's another player who's got Gave as their commander, uh, which I know can do insta combo win the game stuff. You know, I, I might be, I might learn to love the enemy right there. I might learn to be okay with Yasharn because it's keeping me in check, but it's keeping the bigger threat in check too. And you know what? I can probably, that's, maybe that's a good thing, actually. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, in, in, like I said, I, I, I was actually playing tonight. And I ran into the situation where someone had the, the new Norn mother of machines in play, which, which stops ETBs from occurring. Yeah. And I was holding a Sedisi undead Vizier, which has an ETB tutor effect and an acidic slime in my hand. Both, both of those things that would have been very, very useful for me to cast. But there was a third player playing a Brago deck, which is entirely a deck based around ETBs. Like, (laughs) so as, as much as I wanted to be able to cast that Acidic Slime or cast that Sadisi, that's just two cards versus an entire deck that I knew was built around and and enter the battlefield effects. And that, that Elish Norn was very much keeping that Brago deck in check and it was just annoying me so like yeah again it's a it's a it's a disciplined thing but like nope i am perfectly content with having these two cards turned off while that entire deck is being turned off (laughs)
0: yeah goodness gracious yeah i and i i think that that's just a, a nice way to like kind of i don't know try and zoom out on this because the threat assessment is again that unending conversation and like I think there's a strong argument that you'd have to, like being correct and getting rid of that Elish Norn, but there's a strong argument you have for not getting rid of it. And right. it all becomes that matter of perspective and that matter of being extra thoughtful about the cards that you choose to play. And also when you choose to play them and yeah, that stuff's complicated.
1: Yeah. And, and to throw a hypothetical out there, and this was something I did briefly look at too. The Elish Norn player was holding two cards in hand. So like my quick, you know, back of the napkin math was, well, the person probably doesn't have very much stuff in hand that's going to be able to double the triggers because Elfshorn sure not only stops your opponent's ETBs, they double the ones you get. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I don't know if they probably have enough to take advantage of it. So, again, I w- I was content to see the Brago players shut down and not too terribly worried about the Elish Norn player doubling their own triggers given their two cards in hand. Had the person had eight cards in hand, <laughs> yeah. now that's a little bit different. Then, then it becomes a situation where, okay, keeping the Brago deck in check is maybe less important than all of the disgusting things they are going to do by doubling their own triggers. Mm-hmm. So from, from moment to moment, situation to situation, you know, the exact same scenario changes based on just how many cards that person has in hand.
0: Yeah, all those little variables are, are 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 powerful things that swing the metrics back and forth in every which way. Like, I'm terrified of a Smothering Tithe, but if a Smothering Tithe player has zero cards in hand to spend all of that mana on, maybe I'm a little bit less terrified of a Smothering Tithe, you know? Right, exactly.
1: Yeah, and this isn't, I think, this isn't the kind of stuff that, like, you need to devote that many mental resources to in a game. Like, there this is a crazy, complicated game. There's so much stuff to keep an eye on. But it's the kind of thing that if you just you know, throw a glance around the table and before everything starts, get an idea of what you're going to have to deal with when and how, and Mm -hmm. be willing to flex those evaluations a little bit as information changes. Those are the kind of things that can make a pretty big difference in whether or not you win or lose that game. And as long as if you keep doing it and keep like being aware of it, you'll get better at it and it'll get easier and it'll become second nature and you'll find yourself just doing it automatically.
0: Mm -hmm. and having you know when in the deck building process making sure that you're a little bit more prepared for those different types of things can also be an extra thing uh that can help you in those situations too um to you know it's just like oh i do have different ways of handling with these different things uh can be a nice feeling of security going into the game so that you know you've got your outs and you know how to look for them and that can also be an an extra an extra leg up in those situations if they are a little bit harder uh when you encounter them so those are, are good lessons to take away i think these are all good lessons that will help us defeat matt morgan
1: exactly at the end of the day that's really all we care about
0: Uh, yes exactly we just need to destroy him in games of edh Uh, like
1: mary kate and ashley olsen said you got it i
0: i have nothing i i'm 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 out i i just adore you i really do i Okay. Well, I think with that, we are going to call this episode to a close. I don't know. (laughs) That's the segue that I do do get.
1: (laughs) There we go. Yep, exactly.
0: Goodness gracious. All right. uh, Folks out there, we would really like to hear uh, about the different types of threat levels that you perceive for commanders out there and other types of ways to prepare for those different uh, commanders. and it's it's complicated as heck there's no one right answer so i think that reading a lot of those different answers will be the most useful thing to educate us and to figure out how to play these games more wisely and to to get those extra percentage points to try and clinch out a victory it should be really really interesting we look forward to hearing from you about it and uh dana if our listeners want to get in touch with us on the onlines in other ways where is it that they can find us you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDH
1: Rec and you can find all of us together at Patreon.com slash EDH
0: Indeed. You can also find Matt at mathemus 55 if you want to torture yourself with more dad jokes online for some reason <laughs> um, and you can find me i'm at joey schultz online at joseph m schultz plus you can find the cast at edh Recast on places like the facebook's and the twitters but if you've got a question for us you can contact us at edh at gmail.com our thanks go out once again to chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show you can find them online at mana curves and listeners we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck